Good morning, friends. Today's message is, say what? Love who? Well, in Luke 6, 27 to 36, we hear these startling words. Love your enemies. You know, so this may be the most difficult thing Jesus ever said. And even when we hear it in church, it's extremely difficult to believe that Jesus really means what he says. But in case we have any doubts about this, consider the way this command is explained. He says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. But even if that's not enough, Jesus gives us some examples so that we just can't weasel our way out of the truth. We can ignore what he says if we want to, but you can't deny that he said it. He said, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. If they take your shirt, give them your jacket too. If a beggar comes to you, give him something. If someone steals your money, don't demand it back. Then we have Luke's version of the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated. But if that's still not enough, Jesus anticipates our major objection when he says, I love people who love me. Well, as Frank Burns used to say on the TV show MASH, it's nice to be nice to nice people. And yeah, sure, but that doesn't win any points with the Lord. I mean, even sinners are nice to nice people. Then, just like any good preacher, Jesus repeats his main point, just in case we've not gotten it yet. Love your enemies. And do good even to people who you know will treat you rudely in return. Be willing for others to take advantage of you. Do not go around thinking that you deserve something in return. I mean, this isn't why you forgive, and this isn't why you love your enemies. After all, you may forgive someone who is a jerk, and they may still be a jerk after you forgive them. You may love your enemies, they still may be your enemies. So let's stop for a moment and observe these are truly radical sayings of Jesus. Now, I'm going to start with my reaction. I think back when I was in grade school and I first heard this, you know, we had to love our enemies. I thought this was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. I mean, everything I'd ever been taught about human relationships up to this point was wrong. You know, they punch you in the nose, you punch them back. I'd, I'd venture a guess that compared to what most of us have heard, the words of Jesus are kind of crazy. I mean, if we take these words seriously, and we should, we'll often find ourselves at odds with the conventional wisdom most people take for granted. But why then should we live this way? What's in it for us? And Jesus gives us two answers to those questions. Here's answer one. You will receive a great reward. Now, I think he primarily remains a great reward in heaven, but there are also great rewards even in this life when we love our enemies. And maybe the greatest reward is that by loving an enemy, we are set free from bitterness and anger in our own life. Love and hate can't coexist in the same place at the same time. And if we love our enemies... We're not going to hate them. It's just as simple as that. And here's the answer number two. We demonstrate that we are a child of God. See, God specializes in being kind to the unkind and showing mercy to mean people. He specializes in showering grace on sinners and loves to turn enemies into friends. When we love our enemies, we are showing the character of God to the world and proving that we're part of his family. (laughs) There ought to be a family resemblance that even unsaved people can spot. I mean, that's why our text ends with these words in verse 36. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Now, did you get that? Your father. If we say that God is our father, then we have an obligation to show forth his character to the world. And what better way to do this than by the way we treat our enemies? Well, this leads to a very practical question. (laughs) Who are these enemies you keep talking about? 
Well, in the broadest sense, an enemy is anyone who turns against us. The dictionary defines an enemy as one who feels hatred toward, intends injury to, or opposes the interests of another. Now, it's important as we think about what Jesus said here that we don't restrict the term enemy to people who are enemies, for example, of our nation. I mean, these people, these countries are not our personal enemies. Our personal enemies tend to be much closer to home. In fact, home is often the first place to look for your enemies. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 10:36, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And in that very passage, he specified three awfully close relationships that can go sour. A father and son, a mother and daughter, a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. Well, we can easily extrapolate from that list to other close relationships, including parent, child, husband, wife, and on out to grandparents, uncles, aunts, and even to various distant relatives. I mean, the enemies we are told to love usually are not people in Iraq or North Korea. You know, most of us will never visit those countries. But we do have to go home every day to face people who may or may not be glad to see us. Every week we work with people who may dislike us. We may even come to church and see people we'd rather not see. So let's just think on those three categories for a moment. Home, work, and church. This is where many of our enemies will be found. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I recall a very honest email from someone who's listened to some of my messages in the past, past months. Now, I've got to tell you, I've never met this person as far as I know. I want to read you just a little bit of what this person wrote to me. I am in the depths of what seems to be immovable unforgiveness due to serious wrongs and abuse committed against me by a close believing friend. At least I thought was a friend. I have read and knew the forgiveness scriptures you spoke about a month or so ago. And I got to tell you, it touched my heart, my spirit, and my understanding. And even as I write this, I'm crying as I know God is calling me to forgive this person for his sake, even as he has forgiven me. And as I do, I pray that I stop dwelling on the pain and the hurt of it all, the years of anger and the bitterness and the resentment, and that God will take it away from me. You know something? Those words have a ring of truth about them. I mean, Christians can hurt each other deeply and repeatedly, and sometimes we do it deliberately. In a fallen world, the people we thought we could trust often let us down. I mean, sometimes the people we love the most will turn against us. And sometimes it will happen over and over and over again. And we will discover that our loved ones have become our enemies. Now, let me be a little bit more specific. Your children could be your enemies. Your spouse could be an enemy. Your parents could be your enemies. A a former spouse or a longtime friend could turn out to be your enemy. It's not just people out there somewhere, nameless, faceless, anonymous, evil people who are enemies. Sooner or later, people we love will hurt us deeply. And at that point, at least at that moment, they've become our enemies. And if we're honest enough to admit it, we have become their enemies too. I mean, this is why the words of Jesus are so tough to obey. We're being instructed to love people close to us who've hurt us. We're to love those who despitefully use us and abuse us and victimize us over and over again. It's not easy to do this in any case, but it's a whole lot harder to love when we deeply and repeatedly violated, when they've deeply and repeatedly violated our trust has been destroyed. Yet, I got to tell you, the command remains, love your enemies. We cannot escape it. This is the final step in forgiveness. We have not totally forgiven until we can bless those <clears throat> who have hurt us so deeply. To say it another way, we cannot be set free until we set them free 
to be blessed by the Lord. So the question then becomes both personal and practical. How do we love our enemies? I'm going to make a few suggestions, and I'm sure you could add many more. I'd be glad to hear what they are. Here's number one. Greet them. Greet your enemies. That's a pretty simple step we often overlook. I mean, one part of loving our enemies is, is to treat them graciously whenever we see them. And sometimes, and well, yeah, maybe even instead of turning the other cheek, we turn our whole body so we don't have to say hello to somebody who's hurt us. Some of us are pretty good at looking the other way, you know, ducking into a room, crossing the street, using caller ID, dumping them off for your Facebook friends list or whatever. But if we only greet our friends, what benefit is that? I mean, don't even sinners greet each other? I mean, one part of loving your enemies is to greet them instead of avoid them. Second, disarm them. This is what you do when you turn the other cheek, you go the second mile. You disarm them by doing the very thing they least expect. Here's three, do good to them. It's fascinating that both times in this passage when Jesus says, love your enemies, he follows it immediately by saying, do good to them so that we'll not miss the point. I mean, doing good to your enemy means seeing beyond your pain and their meanness to their humanity. It means seeing them as people actually made in the image of God and understanding that there's something twisted inside that causes them to do what they do. Doing good means that you do what will promote their healing despite the way they've treated you. The idea is you make the first move. You send the email or the text or the Facebook message or pick up the phone, whatever it is, bridge the gap. Now, this past week, one of the men said that there are four keys that he often thinks about uh, in trying to help other people, and that's to show up, hang loose, trust God, and stay alert. Let me say that again. Show up, hang loose, trust God, stay alert. That's pretty good advice. Now, those four keys will work for you if you want to help those who hurt you. Now, here's number four, and that's to refuse to speak evil of them. This is what Jesus meant when he said, bless those who curse you. It means you refuse to think evil thoughts. You refuse to speak evil words against those who've wronged you. I mean, Proverbs has a great deal to say about the power of words. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You see, every time we open our mouth, life or death comes out. Now, I'm increasingly impressed with this thought. Forgiveness in many cases is not possible because we will not stop talking. Think about that. Let me say that again. Forgiveness in many cases is not possible because we will not stop talking. You see, friends, as long as we talk over and over again about how other people have hurt us, we're never going to find the strength to forgive. At some point, we just got to stop talking and start forgiving. Here's number five. Thank God for them. I mean, if you have an honest-to-goodness enemy, frame their picture. Thank God for them every day. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you've got to believe that your enemy is sent to you by God's design and with God's approval. I mean, your enemy cannot torment you apart from God's permission. Behind that enemy stands the hand of God. And God would never permit it if he didn't intend to bring something good. Here's number six. Pray for them. Martin Niemöller was a German Lutheran pastor. He was arrested by the Nazis in World War II. And he, it is said that he prayed daily from his prison cell for his captors. Others, other prisoners asked why he prayed for his enemies. And he simply said, Do you know anyone who needs your prayers more than your enemies? Yeah, But what if you hate the person you're praying for? 
Well, tell that to the Lord. He's not going to be surprised. Then say something like this. Lord, I, I really hate this person, but you already know that. I, I ask you to love this person through me because I can't do it on my own. I ask you for a love I don't have and can't begin to produce. I'll tell you, friends, God will not turn you away when you come with that honest heart, admitting that you need his love to flow through you. And number seven, ask God to bless them. I mean, this is a simple way. When faced with somebody who's mistreated you, ask God to do for them what you want God to do for you. I mean, seek the blessing for them that you want God to give to you. I mean, think of it this way. The greater the hurt, the greater the potential blessing that will come when we totally forgiven by God's grace. Bless those who curse you. One final word. Your enemy is a gift from God to you. Though you do not know it and often cannot see it, the person who has hurt you is a gift from God. To say that is not to excuse evil or condone mistreatment. I'm not saying that at all. It is to say exactly what Joseph meant when he said about his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Friends, our enemies humble us. They keep us on our knees. They reveal our weakness and they expose our total need for the Lord. Just as David needed King Saul to chase after him, to persecute him and repeatedly attempt to kill him, we need enemies God sends to us. If we didn't need them, he wouldn't send them. Therefore, we thank God who knows best and we love our enemies the best we can. And often God raises up an enemy to see if we really want to be like Jesus. We'll keep our enemies alive and well as long as we need them. I mean, when we learn to forgive and be forgiven... The past can be past at last. Forgiveness always helps us because it sets us free from fear and guilt. And it sets us free from anger and bitterness so that we can get on with life. It is a transforming gift from God. My prayer is that may God, who has forgiven us in Jesus, now teach us to walk in forgiving love toward each other. Let the past be past at last. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.